Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Matthews Podcast, a podcast highlighting commercial real estate news, topics, and trends from top professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Matt Wallace. I have been in the commercial real estate industry for 10 years now, executing over a billion dollars in transactions across asset classes and across the country. Now I serve as a market leader for the Cleveland Matthews office, as well as leading the shopping center division as national director. In this episode, we are joined by retail leasing expert, Mike Packervan, the SVP and national director of retail leasing at Matthews. Mike was one of the original guests on the Matthews podcast, which resulted in the highest number of downloads to date. Whether he's talking about leasing strategies, the evolution of retailers or retail center synergy, this episode is for you. Today, we dive into real estate strategy, trends, and the future of the food industry and commercial real estate and the overall impact of travel and tourism. Mike, thanks for joining us yet again for round two. Nice to be back. I'm still waiting for my plaque for the last one. It is in the mail, (laughs) right? All right. So I think we spoke first on this podcast about a year and a half ago, very heavily focused on coming out of COVID and what trends were happening in the restaurant sector. So what's the update on consumer preferences? How have they changed over the last year and a half to two years as we exited COVID? It's now all about community building. That's the name of the game. Retailers and landlords that understand how to build community, how to build environments that have amenities that focus on bringing people together. That's where you're going to be successful in this kind of post-COVID world we live in. Mike, I remember we were heavily focused on repositioning restaurants for drive-throughs and, you know, pickup, takeout, delivery. Yeah. Have we gone too far? I think so. Personally, as a consumer, uh, I, I can tell you I've been in restaurants where it almost felt like they were trying to push me out. And in some cases, they do. Uh, we've got a, a local restaurant, California Chicken Cafe, best bone-in chicken on the West Coast, hands down, rotisserie style. They closed their dining rooms. So it's pickup only. They, they, they don't want you to eat in their restaurant, which is, which is something, something odd. I, I never thought that I, I would hear that. Tender greens, sweet green, they are just pushing that third-party delivery and that takeout business so strong that I think it I think you lose the essence of the restaurant. You lose the, the secret sauce in a lot of cases. You lose the opportunity to provide incredible service. It, is the consumer rebelling a little bit? Do they want to go and sit in the dining room? Do they want to be entertained? I think the consumer wants options. They want to be able to 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 pick up their food and 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 utilize mobile ordering for quick pickup because they only have 30 minutes for lunch, but then they also want to have an opportunity to sit down with a friend or or have a business meeting and to not provide an environment for people to do that. While I understand a lot of these are quick service, fast casual restaurants, I think you're losing an opportunity to give a consumer a great experience. So you mentioned early on community building. What what does that mean to you for consumers, for landlords, for the the tenants themselves? How how do we foster that community building atmosphere? I'll give you a couple examples. The last two weekends, I found myself 
at Malibu Country Mart and the village in the Palisades. I wasn't there for any particular retailer or any particular restaurant. I was there because I have small kids, young kids, and I needed a place to go. I needed a place to go with my wife and my kids and my dog to meet my in-laws, to meet my parents. And both of those projects give you an opportunity to spend three, four hours and let your kids run around. Both projects have open green space. Malibu Country Mart has two parks located within the projects for different kind of ages. And they've got restaurants and they've got typical service type offerings, the hair salons and the nail salons. And there's an opportunity to go and be a part of community. The kids run around, they they play with other kids, they're social, they're active, they get their energy out. A lot different than going to a to a street or a grocery anchor shopping center. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to actually be a part of a neighborhood and community. And then from a from a landlord standpoint, they're doing all different types of activities from live music to movies under the stars to yoga classes, you know, community yoga classes out in the in the grass. Just multiple opportunities to get people out of their house out into open air areas and, you know, being around people. Post-COVID, people are yearning to be around people. We're so, you know, head down, stuck in our phones and social media and responding to emails and text messages. And we we miss being around each other. We miss being in social environments. It sounds like you're you're almost coming up with a, a new anchor strategy. It's like community is the new anchor here. The experience is the new anchor. Is that how the tenants are viewing it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, of course, the, you know, the grocery anchored centers we saw post-COVID, you know, m- most of those centers performed incredibly well. And the daily needs anchor will always be an important piece of the puzzle, but taking it to the next step is how do we bring people to a project, not just to buy things, but to be around each other. And a lot of that happens with open space. Does that create any new issues that you've had to deal with in terms of handling during lease negotiations? Have priorities changed from the landlord side, from the tenant side, in terms of trigger points and leases? So it becomes a little bit more complicated because you're now trying to satisfy the needs of not just the landlord and the tenant, but now the cities as well. But with the right coordinating, you can create incredible environments where people actually want to be. I'll give you an example. In Bellaterra in Huntington Beach, they have a large outdoor area where they have a conditional use permit that allows for consumption of alcohol throughout this area. And it's not specific to one tenant. So it allows people to move around. It allows people to get a a beer from one restaurant and and a slice of pizza from another. And they can come with friends and all the friends don't need to eat at one restaurant. It builds community. Let's talk a little bit about how marketing has changed. You know, social media becomes increasingly more important for, for tenants, for landlords. How how can they both be supportive of each other and really work together to bring the most, the largest number of consumers to their asset? Great question. So 
a, a lot of landlords think that just by creating an Instagram page, for example, for their shopping center and showing the tenants on there, that, that that's going to make a difference. And in some cases it does, depending on how they're promoting it and how much they're putting behind that effort. But it goes back to the community building element that we talked about. If you're building environments where people want to stand there and take pictures with their friends and their families, that's it. You've done it, right? Different art installations, different live music opportunities, movies under the stars, right? These are all opportunities where people are going to be there with friends, with family, with coworkers, where they're going to do your marketing for you. They're going to take the pictures. They're going to post them. They're going to tag the location. They're going to tag the business. And there's nothing more powerful than the consumers doing the marketing for you. So so what are some ideas that you've seen landlords come up with that have helped driven that idea of the social engagement? Oh, there's so many that we could talk about. Dog parks. You've got dog parks uh, on rooftops. <laughs> In some cases, you've got live music that we talked about. You've got farmer's market. Uh, uh, Runway Playa Vista Saturdays has, a, has an incredible farmer's market. And again, building community. You've got different exercise classes, yoga and meditation. And at Ivy Station in Culver City, you have classes for infants and toddlers that take place in the in the common areas out on the grass. So if, it seems like we're finally starting to figure out this experiential retail. You know, it's about the experience. It, it started pre-COVID. COVID put the brakes on it. We almost went into the all delivery pickup route. Like, do you feel like we're finding that happy medium? In some cases, we are finding that happy medium or that balance is is critical. And some folks do it really well. I'll tell you a quick story. I was at Viore in, in at Malibu Country Mart. Viore is a up-and-coming brand similar to Aloe or Lululemon. And, and I tried best. on these pants. and They're the best. The, <laughs> Not that I specifically endorse anything, but they are great. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried these pants on, and they didn't fit. And I asked if they had a different size, and they didn't. But what they were able to do was they got my email address, and they put the pants in my shopping cart. So they sent me an email. So one click, I was able to purchase those pants. And, you know, they went through the different colors. And so there's an example of service, right? It's not just depending on the online sales. It's brick and mortar. And it's a happy medium between me buying those pants there or not versus me not buying those pants there, but having a, a an opportunity to buy them very easily and efficiently and quickly on the website. Frictionless, frictionless for the consumer, right? That's that's the goal. Yeah. So I mean, we we've seen all these trends over the last five years. You know, omni-channel ex, ex, experience retail. You know, now obviously in negative direction with. COVID and having to pick everything up from the restaurant and not talk to anybody. Like, I feel like we're we're finally emerging into this new normal of what retail is going to look like going forward. And it, it certainly seems much more focused on the stakeholders working together to bring up to bring together a good project. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And identifying synergies, right? Identifying who are the tenants 
that we can bring to the table that will bring people from not just that neighborhood, but the surrounding neighborhoods? How do we get people to drive 30, 40, 50 minutes to come to our shopping centers and not just visit one location, but have an opportunity to do business in, at multiple multiple locations? So as we talk about merchandising mix and the synergies of the the new retail tenant, what are some specifics that landlords can do from an amenity standpoint or an ease of access standpoint that can really help create those synergies that you're talking about? Yeah, it's really understanding who your consumer is and what their needs are and who your tenant is and what their needs are, right? So starting starting looking at tenants, if you have a, a restaurant that 30% of their sales is third-party delivery, you've got to make sure that you've got parking spaces close by, you've got directional signage, you've got different elements that are going to help that restaurant achieve that goal of 30, 30% takeout or third-party. If you have fitness tenants, same thing. I don't know about you, but I look for any opportunity not to exercise. And if I can't find a parking spot <laughs> or if it's not convenient, I, I'm just not going to take that Pilates class or that yoga class. So uh, understanding how to get people to the right place within the center quickly and efficiently is important. From a tenant standpoint, understanding who your audience is and going into projects where your customer is already there. Uh, it's a lot more difficult going into a project and getting your core customer to, to come to you when they're not already there. There's a lot of great technology out there. Placer AI, for example, will give you incredible demographics of who's coming, where are they coming from, how old are they, what ethnicity. So being able to really pinpoint who your consumer is and if they're already there is going to give you a, a, a huge head start in whether you're going to be successful or not at the project. Hey, there, there's always another Pilates class tomorrow. Don't worry. You can just come back. So. <laughs> No, but you make a good point, though, in terms of the landlord, if they're looking at a restaurant that is doing 30% of their you know, business is via delivery or pickup third-party app, they need to know that. So it, it really requires much more in-depth look from the landlords into the specifics of the business, which we all know that landlords and tenants aren't always the most open and trusting of each other. How do you facilitate that level of trust with landlords and tenants to show that it's going to, you know, it, it's better for everyone the more intertwined our businesses are? Yeah, there's a lot more transparency in our world these days. So that's that's helpful. You know, sales volumes are something that are that's shared pre pretty openly at this point. And that that's a huge help. Now, keep in mind that landlord may not want a restaurant that has 30, 40% takeout delivery third party. Those are folks that are coming in and, and, and leaving right away. So part of the business model for that landlord may be trying to attract tenants that are going to keep their customers at the center for longer periods of time that could potentially lead to more transactions at other other locations in the shopping center. So really depends on what that landlord's looking for in terms of a tenant. Yeah, maybe don't put them at the, the mid cap, like the, or, you know, maybe they get go around back to the, you know, space that's tough to lease, something like that. In, t in talking about 
location for these tenants. I mean, it's still real estate. It's still location, location, location. But ha has any of that changed as the parking needs, the drive-through, the actual shape of these shopping centers has changed in response to what's happened in the last five years? Yeah, it's, it is obviously location, location, location. But with so much going to take out third party, especially for the QSRs, in some cases, they don't mind not being on the end cap or they don't mind maybe a space that doesn't have as much visibility because so much of it is driven by the third party apps and Google and it's a lot easier to find folks. But ultimately, it's about the real estate. It's about the visibility. It's about co-tenancy. And that that's never going to change. But for a creative landlord, I guess one way to problem solve is relocations. If a tenant is more of your traditional sit down versus leaning into the third party delivery side of the business, right? It's all about flexibility. All right. So we talked about this focus on community building and you know more mixed use types of retail. What are the tenants that are taking up the most space that you're seeing in these centers? Health and wellness still booming from your med spas where you can go and get some Botox or laser hair removal to now these cryotherapy and cold plunge baths and infrared saunas. We're seeing a, we're seeing a tremendous growth in, in health and wellness. Obviously, boutique fitness being a big part of that as well that continues to grow. And we're seeing less and less folks are are interested in going to the full format gyms. And there's more of a social element associated with some of the boutique fitness that at least the younger generation has really taken to. Uh, on top of that, the pet industry is still growing. A lot of new higher-end veterinarian tenants out there that are that are on a roll. Skincare, you got folks like Heyday, that are kind of pushing the envelope on skincare and, and doing some state-of-the-art state-of-the-art things. And, and, you know, the the fitness world continues to expand and, and there's rock climbing gyms, for example, that are making a big, big push out there. And it's it's fun to see what direction a lot of this health and wellness goes. Then you have other you know, Brella is a is a preschool and and daycare daycare services um, for kids, and and that's a that's a that's a new category that's filling space in some of these some of these centers and some of these projects. You guys have the stretch labs out there. I've, I've we do, we do. Up, you know, that's someone comes and stretches you. Huh? I, I haven't done it yet. Have you tried it? I I have tried it. And I would tell you, as you get into your 40s and 50s, it's important, uh, especially for folks like us that are sitting sitting at a desk or eight, seven, eight hours a day. Stretch Lab is actually part of the Exponential Fitness brand, and, and we do a lot of their work in Southern California. And that's one of 10 boutique fitness tenants that's part of Exponential, and that's actually the fastest growing of the 10. So you're you hit you you hit the nail on the head on that one. Well, usually if it, if it's made its way to Cleveland, it was in LA, you know, a couple of years ago. So you know, when on our last podcast you told me about these dumplings, which I finally got. So what what's coming to the Midwest in two years? What are you guys eating out there today? Ooh, Asian foods continue to take center stage in Southern California. 
we've got hand roll concepts. Uh, the sugarfish folks have a have a hand roll concept called kazunori that's growing and it's great. You sit at the bar and they bring you four, five, six hand rolls and you're in and out of there in, in 20, 25 minutes. Dintai Fung obviously continues to uh, to grow nationally and their sales haven't dipped uh, dipped at all. Is is hot chicken still growing hot fast? Hot chicken is cooling down. It's lukewarm <laughs> chicken at this point. Warm chicken. <laughs> uh, there, there's been a little bit of correction in, in that space. I think that I think the chicken folks that were more than just hot chicken will find a way to to continue to to do well and grow. Bruxy chicken and waffles, for example, you can go in and get tenders. You can go in and get chicken and waffles. You can go in and and just have uh, waffles or a cold brew. So m- multiple reasons to go there, not just hot chicken. We we were certainly getting that push up from the south. So every every kind of hot chicken concept you could imagine. But usually, usually the ones coming from the West Coast are a little more health conscious. I, I need to I need to stay more with the the Western diet than the Southern diet. Well, it's changing every day, right? They first they tell you don't eat fat, then they tell you can eat fat, don't eat carbs. Now they tell you you can eat carbs, but don't eat processed. So as long as I go get stretched out afterward, I'm good. There you go. <laughs> All right. In terms of our travel and tourism impact, I mean, I know that business travel has rebounded. How is the travel industry's, again, rebound impacting any of your landlord leasing decisions? Well, a lot lot of neighborhoods in Southern California were very much impacted by COVID and and lack of travel, lack of foreigners coming over. Uh, Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica took a huge hit. But most of those landlords and, and the city in general realize that we can't just rely on tourism any longer. We need to find a way to get local folks come to our projects and, and come to the streets. And so, for example, Third Street Promenade, the city of Santa Monica decided that we need to make this a quote unquote entertainment district. So in doing so, they removed the need for a conditional use permit for folks that want to sell alcohol, for tenants that want to sell alcohol, and they've streamlined the process. It's now a four-week administrative clearance approval. It's an alcohol exemption permit. And, you know, they're hoping that that's going to attract a lot of folks that were intimidated by the six, nine, 12-month process of, of obtaining a conditional use permit. They're finding ways to attract the local community to come back on the street as opposed to just relying on the tourism. City of LA did something recently as well. They passed a, a restaurant beverage program, again, wanting to make it a, a little bit easier for restaurants to get open and sell alcohol. Tenants are struggling these days in, in a lot of different ways. Consumer spending is starting to slow down. Less People have less in their savings accounts. As, as student loan is now back due, average car payment in the United States, I heard, is $900 a month, which was baffling to hear. People are starting to slow down their spending. So Los Angeles did something similar. They implemented the restaurant beverage program a little while back, and and that's meant to cut down the timeline for restaurants to be able to to get their conditional use permit or or alcohol licenses. And that's been a huge success. It's gotten tough for, for tenants. If you think about five, six years ago, 
when you negotiate a, a lease transaction, a tenant could get open in five, six, seven months, right? The average restaurant in Southern California it takes about 14 months for them to, to get their plans drawn up, to get into the city, to obtain their permits, to obtain their health department approvals. And then the build out used to be a, an eight week process, five, six months now for restaurants to build out. And we're talking about 2000 square feet. We're not talking about a, a, a 10,000 square foot you know, rest, restaurant or a, a, anything elaborate. So a lot of tenants in the last couple of years have ended up paying dead rent as a result of this. They've negotiated timelines that they couldn't hit. And the landlords have been receiving rent while the tenants haven't been open. That's not a successful way to get started as a tenant. A lot of tenants have PTSD from the last couple of years of trying to get open, paying dead rent. And the way they're negotiating deals is, is different. They're asking for significantly more time. And some landlords understand that and understand the process and some don't. It's causing a lot of friction in the marketplace. I mean, it sounds like with a uh, running theme that we've, we've had throughout this discussion, it's communication, it's cooperation, you know, it's really understanding what all sides on the transaction need, whether it's the, the tenant, the landlord, the municipality, a more cooperative environment or a concerted effort together to build these things is needed here to make sure that we can provide the the types of communities that the customers want, the city wants, and the landlord can make sure is successful. Yeah, the more landlords and tenants know, can communicate and share what their priorities and their needs are, the more these deals can come together in a, in a more holistic way. I'm a unique broker in, in the sense that I was a tenant. I am a landlord, I represent landlords, and I also represent tenants. So I'm able to see things from multiple different perspectives. And, and it all starts with understanding what the needs are, what the priorities are of the person on the other side of the table. You know, for a lot of landlords, it's about maximizing NOI. It's about pushing your face rate as high as you can, because that's ultimately what's gonna determine the value of your property. So they can be a lot more friendly with tenant improvement dollars or landlord concessions as long as they're hitting their numbers on the on a base rent. Tenants, for a lot of tenants, uh, I could tell you there's there's a lot of PTSD for tenants over getting open in the last couple of years. It's taken significantly longer and it's cost significantly more for them to open their doors. So tenants are comfortable paying these rates as long as they have a starting point in a, in, a, in a space that fits their requirements. If they don't need to upgrade utilities, if they don't need to build grease interceptors in common areas, if they don't need to pay for air conditioning units or upgrade restrooms or deal with ADA issues, if a lot of that is, is taken off of their plate, they're actually able to pay a lot more rent. So landlords that can provide space that has the infrastructure that fits the needs of the tenant, they're going to be the winners at the end of the day. Absolutely. Being proactive and, and having your asset in tip-top shape is always a way to, to make sure that tenants are paying most rent and around for the long haul. That's right. All right. Mike, we're going to wrap up here shortly. Do you have anything else that you'd like to touch on in terms of 
tenants and landlords and how best to get deals done in this unique environment that we're in today? I'd say the most important thing for landlords, tenants, and brokers to do right now is communicate. Get away from email. Get away from this new modern way of doing business and go out and meet people. Go out face-to-face. We do something once a week where we do uh, portfolio overviews with brokers and tenants and landlords where we, we get a group of the guys together and we dedicate an hour. We'll reach out to the folks at CB or JLL and say, hey, we've got 100 or so shopping centers we want you to take a look at. We want to know what tenants you're running with. We want to know what your availability looks like, what's coming. And it turns out to be an hour of collaboration, right? Sharing info, sharing information, trying to put deals together. I've noticed post-COVID, we're just not collaborating the way we used to. That's interesting. And not, not just with tenants and landlords, you're saying within the brokerage community itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love the opportunity to work with other brokerage companies. We do both landlord rep and tenant rep. And sometimes we've got the landlord, they've got the tenant. Sometimes they've got the tenant, we've got the landlord. A little different than investment sales. I think the leasing brokerage world, it requires us to to be a lot more collaborative and a lot more open to share. And I think that's the way to get the the best deals done, right? That's the way to get the right tenant in the right space and the consumer wins. Absolutely. Brokers talk, consumers win. Well, Mike, thank you again for joining us today. This has been a fantastic discussion. Always excited to learn what new food is coming to Cleveland in two years after you guys have already had it. So, you know, I I look forward to all the new Asian fusion types of restaurants I'm going to have in the Midwest. But thanks again for joining us. We'll keep sending them your way. Podcast number two in the book for Mike Packervan. Thanks again. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. This is the Matthews Podcast. Tune in again next time. Thank you. 